Hey, we're, we're so excited to have um, Barry speak with us today. He's, him and his wife, Lori, are part of our church community. You might see them a little less because, um, you know, they're often kind of serving in different ways, and Barry is sometimes out of the country uh, serving and, and, and equipping church leaders in places like Africa, Burundi, um, other places like that. I think this summer he's heading to Haiti as well. He's part of a ministry called Outreach Canada, and uh, he, he equips and, and helps church leaders in a variety of ways. He teaches at the same school called ETEC, École Théologique Évangélique de Québec. Jean Martin was here with us last week. Uh, they, he teaches at that school as well. And, uh, but Barry, it's, I mean, it's great that you and your wife are part of our church community, and it's great that you're here sharing with us today. He has a unique uh, thought for us today that I'm excited for us to, to get into. So I encourage you to just kind of get ready, posture yourselves um, to just get closer to the Lord. Can we pray first? God, we're so grateful uh, that we can just pause right now in the middle of our week, in the middle of the, just a variety of things that each of us have come with today. We, we just press pause, we stop, and we want to be captivated by your nature, by your character, by your heart, by your truth, by your love. And so we open up ourselves to welcome um, how you want to speak to us. We pray for Barry as he shares from the scriptures that you'd use him uh, in just an incredible way. Um, may, we, may we listen uh, to your voice through this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So can you hear me well down there? Is that good? Great. Yeah, it's always kind of weird because uh, I was helping out a church in the Eastern Townships, and every once in a while, Nathan would come and preach there. So it was like he was my son, but now when I come here, it's like I'm Nathan's dad. So it's like the, the identity kind of shifts a little bit. Uh, so I'm grateful to be here and have this uh, opportunity to share with you. And, and Dave was nice enough to kind of open the, open the opportunity for me and let me share uh, something from my own heart. Uh, I could have stayed maybe along the same theme. He was working on this la- these last two weeks, but he, he said it's okay to go a little larger. So I thought I'd talk about a, a journey I've been on in terms of, of uh, really um, recovering a sense of wonder, a sense of awe in my walk with God. Uh, it's been a part of my journey over the last 15 years through uh, rediscovering the beauty of nature, the beauty of poetry, um, and it's been a, a, a way that God has really opened up my spirit to see Him more clearly, love Him more dearly, follow Him more nearly. Maybe I'm dating myself here a little bit, um, but uh, that's been part of my own journey, so I'm glad to, to share that with you. Uh, that sense of wonder, I don't know you've been following or not, but I uh, yesterday actually we celebrated 50 years of man's first walk on the moon, right? Anyone following that? Man, I'm so all over that. Uh, in fact, there's a great podcast called 13 Minutes to the Moon, uh, which takes those last 13 minutes when the lander uh, descended toward the moon, and they kind of use that as the frame to tell the whole story of what it took, the 400,000 people that worked on this project of getting a man to the moon. It was, it's phenomenal. But but that sense of wonder, and part of the wonder was not just being the moon, because the moon's kind of a barren place, like more of a desert than anything we could imagine in our world, but to see the earth rise was uh, this great shot actually done, taken by Apollo 68. Uh, and, and in 1968, Apollo, I think it was 9 in 1968. And uh, when, they, when they saw this, they, they, the, the astronaut read uh, Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and everyone was listening to this beautiful view of 
our world, this oasis of blue and life in the midst of the void of darkness of our universe. Absolutely amazing. Uh, so restoring wonder. Uh, let's go to our next slide. Uh, the insights of wonder must be constantly kept alive. Since there is a need for daily wonder, there is a need for daily worship. Uh, it's a great uh, quote by an author that I really enjoy, uh, Abraham Heschel, a Jewish author who really uh, helps us see the wonder and beauty of our God. And he talks about the pitfall of, of our lives that we fall into so easily is to taking things for granted, taking uh, our wife for granted, taking the, our children for granted, taking the beauty of this world for granted, the mystery of our life for granted. So we need daily wonder in the same way that we need daily worship. And, and God's giving us, giving us a constant reminder with the sunrise and the sunset. This is just the, the sunset, I'm sure. Uh, a few of us can recognize this is on the ferry going across to Oka. We just live a minute from there. Um, a beautiful sunset uh, a couple years ago. Absolutely wonderful. So um, always a sense, let's try the next slide. Always the sense of uh, the transcend, for the transcendence, for the reference everywhere to him who is beyond all things. And, and that's the beauty of, of what the word teaches us. The Bible teaches us that the, the world in which we live is a sign. It points us to something more. Through the beauty of this world that God's given us, he wants us to understand and see how beautiful he is. It's, it's just, there's, it points us to the transcendence, a reference to everything that God is. And so this next slide and this beautiful passage. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. In them he has set a sun, a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. There is nothing hidden from its heat. What I love about the Psalms, and the, particularly the nature Psalms, is that they, they show us how a poet can lead us into this sense of wonder and worship. And so the poet is looking for a metaphor. He says the sun is, 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 declares the glory of God. It's like a... Um, uh, the metaphor he looks for here is a strong man, a bridegroom leaving his chamber, runs its course with joy. He's per personifying the sun as this, as, this, as this strong man running his course with joy. And uh, maybe you know this view. This is my view over uh, uh, the Lake of Two Mountains where I ride my bikes in, bike in the morning. And uh, uh, next, the next slide, uh, same, uh, same uh, view, um, different colors, absolutely amazing. With every new morning, Chesterton says, God says to the sunrise, do it again. Isn't that wonderful? And so, um, do it again. And again. And again. And again. Something, eh? The same lake. Notice the, the shift of colors, the, the beauty, even the, the sun also changes, shifts, right? Is the season shift? Um, and I, I just can't get enough of this. It's just, uh, in some ways, it's like the, the expanse of the lake. The, I, I leave, when I ride my bike, I leave the, the tree area by the houses, and the, and the lake is spread out before me, this beautiful view of the lake. It's, just, it's phenomenal. So I've asked myself, what is it about this view that speaks to me? How come this, this view of this lake is particularly powerful for me? Maybe you have in your own life a place where you say, I want to go there because there's something beautiful about this place that, that really inspires me, and, and, this, and I love B 
being by the Lake of Two Mountains. It's wonderful. And I, as I thought about that, I realized that it, it's tied in with the fact that I was raised on the prairies. I'm an Alberta boy. I was raised on the prairies. And um, my imaginary, or the, the way I see and view and value beautiful things, each of us has an imaginary, right? The way that what, what things of this world really inspire us to see beauty. And maybe our imaginary, the type, the type of music we like, the type of minis, the, the, the type of maybe service we love to do, the, the beautiful th- things that we love to see, um, the literature we love to read, that's all part of our imaginary and how it's been formed. And I realized that my imaginary was formed by the prairies. So this next slide. So here are the prairies where I grew up. In fact, that white house there right in the middle that's my house. And that little dark speck in the center of the house, that's my bedroom. This was what I grew up with. And this hill where I took this picture was where I went. I spent the first six years of my schooling going to a little elementary school on top of this hill. And I remember as a kid, I'd, I'd watch the storms come in across the prairie. And you can see, you can probably see on the horizon, the Rocky Mountains are on, the, on the horizon there. It's a beautiful spot. Maybe that's why uh, um, friends of ours just moved out there. Right, Sue and uh, Terry just moved out there because there's something beautiful, something, the call of the west, the call of the prairies. But anyway, I came east, but that's another story. Um, so my, I realized that, that I grew up in this world and the prairies expanded my soul. There's something about them that opened up my soul. This became the window through which I came to value the beauty of this world. And I think each of us could say, well, some experience of our youth, some, some, the way that we grew up, the things that we saw shaped our imaginary. And, and our soul is fed through the beauty of a certain place. And that's part of my story. So there's more about the West. I mean, look at this next slide. I mean, can you believe this sky? Can you believe this otherworldly yellow of the canola fields? and this wild, crazy sky. I mean, there's almost a tornado forming here. You can see that. You can see the, it's almost becoming like a funnel cloud there. I mean, this is the, these are the kinds of things you see in Western Canada. It's absolutely amazing. And uh, it's, it's like the awe, on the other hand, the, the, the sense of wonder and humility inspired by the sublime or felt in the presence of mystery. And, and there's something about awe and wonder when we see a sight like this, we see a cloud like this, think, wow, this is so huge, so powerful, and I'm so small. And when we capture the sense of wonder, being overwhelmed at the beauty of this world, at the power, the sublime beauty of this world, we, f- we realize how small we really are. So my goal this morning then uh, we have some beautiful skies in Quebec as well. Here's uh, just in eastern townships over Farnham. Um, to expand our sense of wonder and awe as we see more clearly our creator God who loves us more than we know. So I hope maybe just through my own stories, through some of these pictures, some of the, the word of God, that maybe your, your own sense of wonder can be expanded as we see more clearly the God who loves us more than we know. So I want us to focus this morning, the passage is from Mark chapter 8. It's on the screener for us. Um, great story of healing. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people 
but they looked like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him home saying, do not even enter the village. Now, this is a a passage we know, and there's an intriguing thought that I read uh, just this last week. Um, Perhaps his seeing, when Jesus touched his eyes the first time, perhaps his seeing was restored, but he needed to acquire perception. And that the second touch had the effect of restoring his perception. They often say that, that people who have been blind and they restore their sight, it takes time for their, their brain to read the cues that are needed in order to see. And I sometimes wonder, it's, just, it's an interesting thought that perhaps it was his, his perception that was restored with his second touch. So the question I want to I use as a, as a bit of a metaphor for us today, that we, we need to have the second touch so that we can perceive the beauty of the world that we're in that we can see beyond the surface of things. So it's a great metaphor here. We're blind. We need Jesus to restore our sight. He takes us by the hand. He gets some of his DNA on us. Isn't that great? He spits on his eyes. He gets some of his DNA on this man. Our eyes begin to open, but our sight is partial. We need that second touch to our eyes so that we can see and perceive the deeper beauty, the deeper meaning of the world around us. We need the second touch. So I'm going to share with you uh, a little bit of poetry this morning. Um, the next slide here is my, my favorite poet. He wasn't a very beautiful man, as you can see, a bit of a big nose and a long face. But, but listen, this guy was on fire. He was on fire for God. George Herbert, they say he is the greatest devotional Christian poet of all time. He died when he was 39 years old. Can you believe it? He wrote only about, not even about 200 poems. And his poems have had such an impact. They were key in, in, in leading C.S. Lewis to the Lord. There's a great uh, lady, uh, she's been called the most intelligent woman of the 20th century, named Simone Weil, uh, a Jewish uh, uh, convert to Christ, uh, a militant during the Second World War. And she, she was led to Christ through, through uh, memorizing and reciting one of his poems. I mean, this, this is an amazing guy. So here, this is a, one of his better poems. But the, the, the idea is here. A man who looks on glass, on it may stay his eye, or if he pleaseth, through it pass, and then the heaven espy. So this idea of then, of not, not letting our sight be stuck on the surface of things, but looking through what we see to the deeper meaning, the deeper beauty of what we see, what's around us. And there are many things that will... Um, will open us to the, uh, that hinder us from seeing through things. I was going to show you a stereo image this morning, but I realize it doesn't work uh, when you put it on the screen. You know what a stereo image is? You have to kind of, you have to kind of let your, go out of focus and look at it, and then you kind of see through it. You see the hidden message in it. But when you project it on the screen, for some reason, it doesn't work anymore. But anyway, so we we won't do that this morning, but you know what I'm talking about. But I love it. It's a beautiful metaphor of how we have to look through the surface of things, and there's a hidden beauty, there's a hidden meaning in that, in what we're seeing, but we need this, we need to look through it to see it. So Seymour clearly looked up and said, I see people, but they looked like trees walking. And this second touch, Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. So we need to experience this second touch. So um, basically, I, I, here's what I, where I wanted to go this morning with this, but I always take too long. 
Um, I, I, I told my wife on the way here this morning, I put a lot into this sermon, and she said, I want to know if you took a lot out of this sermon. That's what she, so uh, so that's, um, that's her question always. Um, so, you know, American Sign Language, what the, word for, what the sign for preacher is? It's this. So uh, anyway, there, there's, some, there's something there that we need to realize too. Okay, so I wanted to talk a little bit this morning about, if we, to take this metaphor again about seeing and how we need to have our sight restored and uh, the idea of removing cataracts. You know, maybe some of you have had that operation done. I'm, I'm going to have to have that done in a few years probably, but, but uh, there's certain things that hinder our vision and I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, you know, the rationalism which has impacted us since the Enlightenment that reason is the only way we can really see what's true. Just think about uh, this, this expression. Um, you're being rational, and you're being emotional. Which is the compliment? Which is the, 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 the slam, right? Where did that come from? Sometimes it's good to be emotional, right? Our emotions are part of our being, but the enlightenment and the, the, the primacy of reason has so impacted us that we... We have trouble seeing the, the, the beautiful things. There's technology and distraction, um, our self and our consumerism. There's many things that, that keep us from seeing the deeper things. When, when we see um, people, for example, is a means to an end, not an end in themselves, then we have trouble. And I know if it ever happened to you, but I remember we had some neighbors and we lived here uh, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, and... and uh, um, I thought, hey, they invited us over to their home. I thought, wow, they were starting to build bridges with these friends and everything else. And here, really, what he wanted to do was sell us this water purifying system, right? <laughs> and how does it make you feel when that happens? Eh? You, think, you think that the person is really there for the relationship, but really they're, they want to use you to some end? You become a means to an end? And that, that can hinder us from seeing the value of the person. So I want us to see with new eyes. So we're going to jump over a few slides here. Um, just to show my wife that I can take some things out of my sermon. Um, so let's go to seeing through, exercising our new eyes. Let's go down to slide uh, 27. Can we do that? Maybe back up one there. Okay, seeing, seeing beyond nature, restoring wonder. So, so the idea is we need to... So, we're getting the second touch. So the Lord touches our eyes, and we can begin to see the beauty of who He is through the created world. And we see this in, in Romans chapter 1. Um, for what can be known about God is plain to them, to all humanity, because God has shown it to them. How has He done it? For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So God has left a, left a testimony to his character, to his power and his attributes in the things that have been made. So as we look at this world, as we look at this beautiful world, and as we understand it, we're seeing part of the attributes of God. And part of restoring wonder is, is seeing the beauty of God, the wonder of God, the amazing God we serve through the beauty of this created world. So let's look at this next slide. Man, look at this, look at this cumulus cloud. Isn't this something? Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. 
He lays the beams of his chariots on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. Psalm 104. Now, did you know that Psalm 104 is like the ode to creation? It's like this amazing creation song. Often what I'll do when I ride my bike, I'll, I'll put on Psalm 104, and I'll listen to it while I ride and, and observe this beautiful creation. What does the psalmist do? He starts with creation. He starts with, with the earth. He moves on to the animal kingdom. Then he moves to the sea and the, the creatures that live therein. He made Leviathan to play therein, it says in the King James Version. Then he moves on to humanity and, and the role we have. It's, it's an absolutely amazing creation psalm. It's, 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 it's a, an ode, the ode to creation, the hymn to the God of creation. And here we see this, this beautiful imagery of, of who God is. And, and it, it invites us to see his power, his beauty, his, and worship this creator God. So, and, it had, and when we do that, it also has an impact on us. And I, I, I couldn't help but give you this quote, and I think maybe just for the title of the book, which is so great. Let's try the next slide. Awe imbues people with a different sense of themselves, one that is smaller, more humble, and a part of something larger. Brief experiences of awe lead people to feel less narcissistic and entitled and more attuned to the common humanity people share. Fleeting experiences of awe redefine the self in terms of the collective and orient our actions toward the needs of those around us. By Greg Boyle. Look at the title, Barking to the Choir. Isn't that a great title for a book? I couldn't get, I, I, maybe just the title, I had to give you the quote. But anyway. Um, but he, he says that when, when we, we have these experiences of awe, there's something that happens to us as well. We see, we, we rediscover our place in this created world. And we also see our common humanity and, and we, we see ourselves as part of this, this created world in which we, we live. And we find, in our, and we're, we're, our self-centeredness is, is pried away from us. And we begin to be able to give ourselves to others through these experiences of awe. So there's a powerful impact here. So we need to see beyond in our relationships. Our next slide. Um, so, so uh, I mean, I, I don't know if you love Les Miserables. I love Les Miserables. I've two, two times, two of my most phenomenal experiences of my life was to be in the Queen Theatre in London and to see Les Miserables that's been running there since 1986. Actually, it was in a different theatre than I moved there, but it's been running every night since 1986 to sold out crowds. Can you believe that? We're talking like tens of thousands of viewings of Les Miserables. What is, it about that, what is it about this musical that's so powerful? It points to the beauty of God, the beauty of forgiveness, the truth of the gospel is all there. But anyway, I'm, I'm sitting there with my son one time. That was an amazing experience. To go to an experience like that with your son and sit side by side with him and enjoy the music and the beauty of this place. I mean, it's one of my uh, mountaintop experiences. And one of the lines in that, to love another person is to see the face of God. To love another person is to see the face of God. Um, there's no ordinary person in this world. Every person is imprinted with the image of God. Now, if you doubt that, just have a look at my granddaughter here. Isn't that wonderful? That's a few years ago. That's our Neve, right? Um, but look at the beauty. I mean, just the, 
the, the beauty of the image of God in this little girl. So if you doubt the, the beauty of the image of God, um, my next granddaughter will convince you for sure. Look at those eyes. I mean, uh, we always laugh because I never get through a sermon without having at least one or two pictures of my grandchildren. So there you go. The always sense or uh, when standing in the presence of a human being is a moment of intuition for the likeness of God which is concealed in its essence. So the likeness of God is concealed in the essence of every human being. So through the people around us, through the people that we tend to take for granted perhaps, our spouses maybe, our neighbors that maybe get on our nerves, the image of God is imprinted in them. And as we, as we look beyond the surface, we can see the image of God in every human being. So we also need to see this in our relationship with God. Our next slide. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that we should be called the sons and daughters of God. That's, a, that's an expression of wonder, of awe, that God would love us so much that we would be called the sons and daughters of God. So the invitation then is to, to enter into that sense of wonder and awe that God would love us and choose us. And that's also part of this becoming a, a contemplative, I know that, that word may scare people, but a contemplative person is just someone who pays attention, someone who, who tries to look beyond the surface of things. Now, all great artists and poets are contemplatives and music musicians are contemplatives because they, they pay attention to something beyond. They're, they're, they're attentive to the muse, the, the creative part of our being, and they see the world differently. And the, and the great artists have this power to see the world differently and to help us through their art, through their music, through their poetry, to see what they see. And so the, the beautiful thing we have in the scriptures is that we have the Psalms and the prophets, and so much of what they write is poetry. Well, why is it poetry? Because they're trying to capture something of the beauty and wonder of who God is. And prose just won't cut it. We need this beauty of poetry to, to show us, to, to throw open our eyes and our hearts to see the beauty of our God and his love for us. So the next, uh, uh, the next slide. See thee more clearly, love thee more dearly, follow thee more nearly day by day. That wasn't written by um, the producers of uh, Godspell, by the way. That was written by Richard of Chittister, who was a great uh, man of God. And they stole it from him and immortalized it through the music. But it's a great prayer. See thee more clearly, love thee more dearly, and follow thee more nearly day by day. Isn't that a great prayer? But we have to see. <laughs> we have to have this second touch on our eyes so that we can see God in the midst of the circumstances and the people and the, the world in which we live. And that takes this second touch from our Lord. And we have some great teachers. Uh, we have the psalmist and the prophets. Jesus himself said, are you tired, worn out, burned out in religion? Come to me, get away with me. This is from the message, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Uh, God used this man, right, to give us this, this beautiful, poet, poetic rewriting of, our, of a great passage. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. 
Jesus himself invited us to the next slide. Um, and which of you, by being anxious, anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field or the marigolds or the, the, the morning glories, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like any one of these. Jesus himself was, is teaching us about the life of contemplation, about seeing through the flowers to the beauty, to the sense of glory and wonder behind it. He invites us into this, this place of wonder, of seeing in the created world a picture, a, a metaphor, an invitation to a closer walk with our Father. And we have some great teachers in our, in our Christian um, history, Tozer, Eugene Peterson, Henry Nouwen, Malcolm Geit, uh, and I could go on, and I promised Lori I wouldn't, so I will. So, so let me finish by um, a poem, of course, but I, I want us to finish by looking at the cross. Lead me to the cross. Um, the cross is, is an invitation to, to meditate on the love of God shown to us. And not just to, to think about it theologically in terms of uh, maybe some, the way that Jesus took, paid for sins and canceled the debt and maybe that kind of language, but, but to enter into it as, a, as an expression of the love of God, as an invitation to receive from him what he wants for us. So I want to share with you a poem as we close by George Herbert, none other. Um, it's his most... Uh, Amazing poem. I'm sorry, I wanted to get it all on one screen. And it's a little bit small to read, but we're going to do it. We're going to do it in two waves. All right. Um, you can read it first. I'm going to comment on it a little bit, and then we're going to do a second reading. We're going to try and look through the poem to the message. Um, so um, you can follow along for this first reading. Love bade me welcome. Yet my soul drew back, guilty of dust and sin. But quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack from my first entrance in, drew near to me, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. I guessed, I answered, worthy to be here. Love said, you shall be he. I, the unkind, the ungrateful, all oh, my dear, I, I cannot look on thee. Love took my hand. And smiling did reply, Who made the eyes but I? Truth, Lord, but, but I have marred them. Let my shame go where it doth deserve. And know you not, says love who bore the blame. My dear, then I will serve. You must sit down.